Hello, everybody. Welcome back to um, the Breaking Bread Village, um, where we just kind of sit down, break bread, and have a conversation. Um, today, the conversation is going to be with a group of friends um, as they kind of talk to us about some things that are going on um, in the tribal nation. So what I'm going to do is um, bring them on um, so I can introduce them, and then we'll go ahead and get started with the conversation. Hello, ladies. How are you guys? Hi. Doing well. Thank you. Awesome. So if everybody just kind of wants to introduce themselves quickly, um, just to kind of say who you are, and then we can go ahead and get started. All right. My name is Kelly Willis-Benali, uh, Saginaw Chippewa Tribe, um, member of the Anishinaabe Caucus, and uh, one of the, I guess, original coordinators of Shema Sadi Benali, the operation for the supplies. For COVID-19, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Go ahead next. Andrea Pierce. I'm um, Little Travers Bay Band of Adawa Indians Tribal Citizen. I'm also the chair of the Michigan Anishinaabe Caucus, the first Anishinaabe Caucus in, in the state of Michigan. Awesome. Hello, my name is Raelle Hamilton. I am uh, Kelly's daughter from uh, Gallup, New Mexico area, Church Rock, New Mexico area, where I grew up. Um, I'm a full-time student as of right now, that's about it. Awesome, well, I want to welcome you guys here with me. I'm really um, happy that you guys took time to come out and talk to me today. Well, talk to us today. Uh, the reason why I reached out to you guys is because, you know, I've heard a lot about, you know, the issue that's going on with like COVID-19 and the Navajo Nation in particular is what I first brought my, you know, uh, got my attention. So I kind of wanted to see, uh, I guess, what was going on there, get a little bit more information in regards to that and then we could talk about some other things as well but I wanted to really put some focus on that because I know that Kelly you and Andrea were doing a, helping with the drive um, in regards to getting supplies out to the Navajo Nation so can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure um, well Andrea and I were having a conversation and um, I was telling her about the, uh, the dire need for supplies and the inability for the Navajo Nation to um, get any supplies, uh, bleach, uh, Clorox wipes, um, sanitizers, masks, I mean, anything, and a lot of basics too. So, um, I mean, we had this conversation a few weeks ago and she, I mean, just kind of pulled on both of our heart strings, like, and we just knew we had to do something. And she said, we got to start a fundraiser. We got to, mm -hmm. we got to start something. We got to get some supplies to the Navajo nation. We got to help our people. We got to help our people. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, we just started to reach out to folks and um, uh, we got going on the Facebook page, uh, Operation Shema Sadi Benali. And it kind of took off like wildfire. Uh, folks, mm -hmm. big hearted, jumped in full, full on mm -hmm. and supported, and they were shopping and making masks and uh, just big hearted givers all over Michigan. Uh, we reached out to them for some folks who we might get in touch with to distribute for us. And it just, it was amazing the turnaround, the, the support that we got. And awesome. Awesome. So, Kelly, yeah. can you tell me a little bit more about your connection, your direct connection to the Navajo Nation? What kind of, I mean, so, you know. Sure, sure. So I'm married to Eddie Benali. He's a, uh, uh, 
Navajo member, tribal member, Navajo Nation tribal member, and um, his mom, mother-in-law, Katie Vanelli, he was um, found to have had COVID-19. Yeah. Um, what was the date? Six days before Yeah, so we're talking about May. Like May, somewhere around we had it and we lost her on Mother's Day, and it just yeah, it's devastated, devastated us, you know. Um, yeah, it was a big blow. You know, there's just some things that would happen and been prevented, and Give me one second, Kelly. It's a little bit hard to uh, understand you as you're coming in and out. I just want to, because you're saying some really good information. I just want to make sure people can, um, that so it's just going in and out a little bit. I know some of what you said was that your husband, who is a part of the tribe, he's a tribal member of the Navajo Nation. Um, his mother just passed away. And Ryle, that's your grandmother, correct? Yes, that is. That is my uh, paternal grandmother. Yep, so, um, so this is on that. My condolences. Um, I'm really sorry to hear that. I know that she was 90 and, you know, had a lot of um, information. She, from what I heard from you all, she's a medicine woman where she was a medicine woman and had a lot of healing gifts. Um, so, you know, that's really hard when people are that age and they have so much information. It's not always, we don't always record it. Um, so sometimes you, you can lose that information. So um, I know that's, that's partly what you were speaking to. Um, so I, I, I want to, I guess, dig a little deeper into how we got to the situation. Because I know, Ryle, when you and I were speaking earlier, um, you kind of were touching on some things in regards to why, you know, the Navajo Nation was in the situation it was in regards to some of the supplies. Um, would you mm -hmm. mind kind of telling me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think the basic thing I can do is paint you a picture of how everyday life is. Um, in order for you to understand when this whole pandemic came and everything was locked down, how much these people were truly affected by uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, sure. On a daily basis, you know, we have families that travel um, a, pretty, a pretty far distance. We're talking anywhere between 50 to 150 miles for 150 water. miles, wow, for water, okay for water. Uh, and this isn't just, you know, fresh water. This is just, just water, just water. And that is including water that is, that was tainted with the uranium from the uranium mines back in the day, as well as it being tainted from the coal mines, from their reservoirs that broke in the San Juan River, things like that. You know, all of these different things affected um, not just that small town, but it it expanded, you know, a lot of places like Gallup. Gallup is a central hub for, you know, 200 miles in each direction um, because that is the closest grocery store to them that is going to give them everything they need. Basic daily supplies like toilet paper, like soap, water, uh, food. And a lot of these houses uh, continue to carry on even now without running water, without electricity. And the only you have for their home is going to be their fire burning stove, their coal burning stove. And then the lucky few who do have you know, natural gas or propane, 
they then become a home where you have multi-generation families living under one roof. And mm -hmm. listen, listen, we're not talking in a kid farmhouse, five bedrooms, a dining room, a living room, den room, and then, you know, a nice little backyard. We're talking a house maybe 200 square feet. We're talking two, one to two bedroom home. Okay. I think that you will be used to a shacks. Those are homes to to a lot of these elders who, you know, went out and were taught to live on this land. And when you're taught to live on this land, we learn, hey, we need to support that also includes our diet. Um, a lot of Native Americans in the Navajo tribe, we rely on potatoes. We rely on flour. We rely on um, beet, like dried beans canned corn, uh, commodity cheese. Uh, I know that was a big, that is a huge staple when it comes to a Navajo diet. You know, it is a lot harder to get fresh fruits. It's a lot harder to get fresh vegetables. Not only is it harder, it's also more expensive. And that's also another excuse that these families are having to add to in order to just get water. So tell me, I know you spoke earlier a little bit about that in regards to the fresh fruit and fresh vegetables. I know you spoke about, you know, the red clay and how it's just, it's hard to even grow it. You know, sometimes people, I know even with this COVID-19, a lot of people like myself started, um, you know, planting more vegetables and fruits because, you know, you go to the grocery store and they're out of things and you kind of freak out like, wait a minute, I, I need to be doing a little bit more to be able to uh, self, uh, you know, preserve myself, you know, and be able to have my own food. So my question to you is that has to be very difficult for the Navajo Nation to to sustain if they can't even plant their own food or, or you know, vegetables and, and, and fruit. So tell me a little bit more about that. So um, as you know, uh, or as you may not know, the Navajo Nation is a huge nation. It does span four different states. Okay. We have a little bit of a nation that goes into the Utah state, Colorado, New Mexico, and a lot of it does lie in Arizona. So, you know, this is, this this nation itself is bigger than Rhode Island. Okay. Like this is bigger than one of these states. And there are thousands and thousands of people living on that land who are used to living on the land. But they're also used to having to do these supply runs every other day. They're used oh, wow. to the town, getting their water, getting their food, going home, preparing it, saving it, and then coming in and doing it all over again. A lot of the students travel over 30 miles to get to a school. And oh, wow. the roads that um, supply the bus route are dirt roads that are the probably the central line that is maintained throughout the Navajo Nation if it is not paved. So that right. turns out the number of people having to commute just to find work to find food, to find water, and to find educational outlets for their children. Wow, so, so that, yeah, you know, I just, I think about, you know, if, if you aren't able to grow food or, or if you have to go 100 miles or 60 miles or 30 miles just to get food, I would imagine that when you finally get to the store, you you may not get the most nutritional things because you're gonna get stuff that's gonna last for a while, am I correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're going to get things that last for a while. You're also going to get things that cost less. 
because a lot of these families, you know, we're talking about the highest educational uh, background is going to be high school diploma. Okay. A lot of these people are working, you know, minimum wage jobs, trying to get, you know, ends to meet, trying to make ends meet, trying to keep their families afloat. And a lot of these also have, you know, two, three kids. So then you have to balance your children's nutrition, your nutrition, and then your elders, you know, meaning what they need as well. That's not including medicine. That's not including, you know, um, additional heat. If grandma has, you know, is it gets cold easily. So okay. So, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So that's that's also an additional cost. Is how much it is going to be to to heat your home, because you have families that are working you know, nine to five jobs plus overtime just to make ends meet. Those people are also that are responsible to go out for wood hauling. So what do you do if you work, you know, day in, day out, and you're going to try to cut some corners and, and buy wood from people. So that's actually a type of um, source of income. Okay. Because they have to buy that wood. And I mean, that alone as well, you're we're running out of force in that area. They're they're running out of usable fuel that's going to. Oh wow! Wow! There's a couple of mines that closed down, and these mines were what families relied on to heat their homes because wow. you could buy a sack of coal, you could buy a load of coal, and it'll last through the night for them. They know that I mean, they'll be able to get it going again. This is just mind boggling to me because I think a lot of times, because I grew up in the city, right? So I'm I'm used to, you know, if I don't have transportation, I can get on a bus, right? And go to where I need to go, get what I need to get. Um, I didn't have to worry about, you know, collecting wood or as you said, coal. And, you know, so this is just mind boggling to me that I think, and, and, and that's why I want to have this conversation because I think we kind of forget that people right here, because we talk about third world countries, right? And how, and, you know, people go on these mission trips and they go over and help out. But it's so many people right here, you yes. know, on this land that are that are really struggling and really having a hard time. So, um, you know, I know you mentioned about, you know, schooling. And then, Andre, I have a question for you next. But I want to ask you, Raya, you, you mentioned about education being the highest, you know, high school diploma. Is that is is there a reason why? Um, is it because it's not because it's so far away, or is it kind of um, frowned upon to get education over over you know where you need to just go work? You know, and and I want to just preface this to anybody that's watching, and I know I mentioned it to you guys, but. I want to preface this to anyone that's watching that the questions that I ask are genuine. They're, you know, because I'm curious and because I have no idea. I don't know. Right. So that's why I'm asking these questions. So I hope, you know, anybody watching that are, you know, maybe from these tribes or, you know, that may be, um, you know, a native. I don't want anybody to be offended by this because this is really me trying to understand so that other people can understand, because I think sometimes we're afraid to ask questions because, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to seem ignorant, but I would tell I'm ignorant. I don't know. So I want to know. So, um, so back to the question. Yes, um, I just wanted to make sure I, I preface it with that. When it comes to education, um, I mean, this is based off of my experience alone and my experience living in Church Rock, which is an outside um, town right on the outskirts of Gallup. Um, you know, it is 10 miles outside of Gallup from city limits. So and that's in, New Mexico, that's in New Mexico, just so many people don't know that. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is in New Mexico. And my experience 
of education was my grandmother drove us into Gallup. There was a couple of small, uh, you know, uh, schools that were offered in the town, but um, I, I know for whatever reason, my grandmother decided, you know, hey, we need to take her into town for school because it's going to offer her, you know, more, um, more opportunities. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you go to, because this is the difference between going to a school off of the reservation versus a school, a public school. Public okay. school, they, they will offer transportation in the form of a school bus. So they okay. may their bus route and all that stuff. And along that bus route, all these children live far enough away from that bus route that they have to be driven to the point where they are picked up. And that's an additional 45 minutes to an hour drive waiting for their children to come home and go. Um, If you're lucky enough to be able to send your child to a private school, you do. But a lot of times that's in Arizona or you know, it's a charter school and hopefully it lies under the public school system. And that's kind of the only way that these, that a lot of the students are able to get further and get their their toes wet in higher education because they're getting the opportunity to do that. And some of these, some of these students, they will run with it because you know these are also the students that are taught by our elders like my grandmother, Sadie Benali, who always told me, you know, continue education because she, her herself was not offered that opportunity. Right, right. She spoke of it, you know, hey, education is going to be the most important thing to you. It's going to be your key to be successful in the, right. future, in the world outside of the Navajo Nation. Right. Which I think which I think is something that kind of goes across the board. Right. I remember, um, you know, talking to people even within my community, you know, that are older, you know, it was you had to get out in the fields, you had to go work. So a lot of times a lot of people just weren't offered that education. So, um, wow. Um, thank you for that. Right. I want to ask you, Andre, I want you to tell me a little bit about about your tribe and what's what's kind of going on with you all and, and what your your work is. What do you do in regards to um, what you're, you know, kind of what you're fighting for? Because you are a fighter. And I say that with the, with the most love, like you are a fighter and I love that and you have no problem speaking out. So tell me a little bit about your work and why you do it. I, I do it for my people. That's where I'm at. I'm trying to work at, um, make sure that we have water here. We have Great Lakes State. And we have cities that don't have clean water. We have um, right now we're dealing with Flint in the in the lead levels. Yes. And all of that. We got the PFAS in um, in Benton Harbor and um, different areas. My area's got PFAS in Ypsilanti. So we our water is under attack, and that's where I started at was um, working to protect our water. Line five is that sixty-seven year old pipeline that's about to break any day. And we're trying to get rid of that because once it goes, that's my reservation. Little Rivers Bay, that's where I, my people are from, and the Sioux Tribe. We will be dealing with that. It'll affect everything. Everything. Twenty percent of the world's fresh water will be gone, and for what? Corporate greed. Corporate and now greed. Yeah. They want to, yeah, that's what it is. And they, Bridge keeps saying that we use all of that, and we don't. They ship it down to Detroit, the Marathon Station. If you see it down there, 48217 is one of the dirtiest zip codes. Why? Marathon. All that 
pipe other shipping all that um fracked gas and tear sand whatever they put in there because we really don't know the embers just tells us something and everything embers is a lie everything so what we need to do is we need to shut down line five we need to work um against that tunnel we need to make sure our water is safe it affects our treaty rights for my tribes and then well, we've got the five core tribes up north so yeah, I'm a fighter. I'm gonna fight for my seven generations. I'm gonna fight for my grandkids. I'm gonna fight for my grandkids' grandkids. And that's where yeah. I'm at. No, I think that's amazing. I, I think that is amazing. And you and you should. I mean, you have something to fight for. We all should be fighting for clean water for everybody. Everybody should have, I mean, basic, you know, it's just so interesting because you talk, you know, people talk about America, right? And it's, you know, having all these these opportunities and it just breaks my heart that people that live here and that are indigenous people that are that are, you know, natives of this land can't even get water and have to fight and get, you know, I, when I watch the peaceful protests, you know, where people are, you know, trying to say, hey, don't 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 build things here. Don't tear up our, our you know, pipelines. Don't do. And they get, you know, sprayed with rubber bullets and, you know, tear gas. You know, it just it just breaks my heart. And quite honestly, it pisses me off because it's just, you know, I, I remember seeing the videos and, you know, you see people that are elderly fighting it. And, and, you know, I don't know. I just and in our culture, too, you know, our elders are really, you know, just you just put them on a, on a pedestal. I mean, you do you you give them their 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 honor that's due because they've paid the way. They've been here. They've put in the work, right? So when I see people who are out there that are elderly getting sprayed and crying out for you know just some mercy and just some understanding, it really it really just gets me really <laughs> upset. And um, I just have a hard time with that. So thank you, Andrea, for the work that you do too. I, I really appreciate that, Kelly. I want you to tell me a little bit about your. It isn't just an indigenous issue, though. 20% of the world's fresh water. We will all suffer. Yeah. We should all be out there fighting, telling everybody to stop poisoning our water. Because it's, yeah. it's not just going to It's not an indigenous issue. It's a human yeah. issue. Yes. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. I do. We all should have that. And this is, it's a lot we have to fight for <laughs> right now. And it's just, it's a lot going on. Um Kelly, please tell me a little bit about your tribe. I know when we spoke earlier, tell me a little bit about um, your tribe and just um, how you guys are almost extinct. You know, you're kind of, I mean, I know, Rael, the Navajo Nation is, what did you tell me, like 350,000? How, how many people are Navajo Nation? It is a vast nation and it is continuing to grow. Um, what we're finding now that, you know, that I've seen is that the only way that, you know, for my generation, we all left. A lot of us left the reservation in order to find a job in the cities and this and that. And, you know, it's, we're offered the opportunity to return. A lot of us choose not to. Um, and, you know, and that's also the beauty of how the government set up, uh, mm -hmm. what some certain bylaws are. And yeah, you know, they're, they're, I understand where they're coming from with the fact that it is important that we stick to our tradition and we, we teach our tradition and we follow through with our tradition, but how, how are we supposed to continue the teachings that were taught to us if we're not allowed to thrive on our own land? Mm -hmm. how, are to, how are we able to bring this knowledge and this education that we've accumulated? and bring it back to the Navajo Nation in a way that we're able to not just share with everybody, but make it you know, something that they are able 
to partake in. You know, yeah. then you have to kind of look at these people also need the time to come. So if they're working two jobs, where are they going to find the time to try to better their life, to get, you know, a better life for their children and stop that cycle of poverty that's happening within that whole nation? Oh, I yeah. Mean, families are born into poverty and they're taught how to survive within poverty and they're not taught what do I need to do to get out of this? What do I need to do? Because a lot of these people will then you know, kind of go, hey, how do we get running water? How do we get this? And there are a lot of stops. You know, this is a very um, tough land to live in. And because of that. I want to stop you there because I want to talk more about that. I want Kelly to tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about her, but I want to talk about um, that and how those circumstances lead to other things as far as, you know, mm -hmm. mental mental health and different things of that nature. Um, you know, I always and I'll say this real quick. I always find it so interesting when people condemn a group of people for acting a certain way. But then they put them in certain situations where they have, I mean, that's the only cause and effect. You know, if you put a person into, um, you know, a hood, a ghetto, uh, a reservation, and you put them there and you limit their resources, and then you say, okay, I want you to be human. I want you to act a certain way, but I won't give you real water. I won't give you this. I won't give you that. You can't even grow food here. You're limit. you know, you limit so much. And then you question why they act a certain way, right? I just find that very interesting. But Kelly, I want you to tell me a little bit about, about your tribe and kind of what's going on uh, with you all. So Chippewas here in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, Saginaw Chippewas, um, we have a very small number in comparison to the Navajo Nation. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're right around 3,000. Uh, 3,000 all together. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. We're very no few of us left. There's only a handful of full-blooded Chippewa left. Period. Mm -hmm. So um, it just doesn't look good. So um, I mean, and the Native American people are the only ones who kind of like have to do a pedigree and show you that card to prove right. who you are. Yeah, I'm Indian. Here's my card. So I don't know of any other race that has to do that. We have to do that for our my grandpa and grandmas mm -hmm. and great grandmas all the way. So, um, so there's that, and then um, there's our language and our culture, our history that was um, taken from us. We used a lot of different ways to do that, and one of the big ones um, that really, really, um, really robbed us so much, including our youth, was the boarding school era. Mm -hmm. uh, we have one right now here. It's less than 15 minutes we're at right now, Mount Pleasant Industrial Boarding School. My grandma was here, and she just about didn't make it out alive. So there were hundreds of little children who did not make it out. And my grandma ran away twice. And the first time she ran away, um, Bay County Sheriff got her, um, which is a few counties away from Isabel County. And they got her, and um, a lot of bad things happened to my grandma when they returned her to school. And uh, she made the headline. I actually have a copy of that newspaper uh, called the, uh, well, they called her a school. They said a squaw escaped from the boarding school. And her mother tried to basically kidnap her from the boarding school. And, well, luckily, we got her put her back in the school, like as if she was a wild person or something. Right. It just, just reading that. Hey, just 
blows my mind. They were able to just come to your home and take your children from you, snatch them, and put them in the boarding school. And a parent couldn't pick them up for weekend visits or summer visits or anything. Some of these kids had to work when they're only 12 years old to go build uh, different buildings for the natives in town or farm those little kids out. And those little kids work with saws and different things. They lose fingers. And anyway, there's a, there's a lot of children that did not make it out of their life. I'm talking about hundreds. So uh, you don't really don't see that in the headlines. Um, but there's a lot of children's graves out there. And when we took that school over, when the tribe did, there were um, like handcuffs. We found little children's handcuffs. Oh, my goodness. Schools. Um, they did a lot of stuff with those little kids. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of rape that went on. Mm -hmm. A lot of torture. So is, is this still was this still happening pre like present or is this are you talking about history? Are you talking about present? Our boarding school here down the road, Mount Pleasant Boarding School, is closed, but there's still boarding schools uh, open. I think they are operating today. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, there I, are yes. some boarding. However, their their mission has changed from beating the beating the native out of you. You know, their model yeah, has gone them. from that. You know, to to they instead of trying to colonize us, they are now um, you know trying to give them a way to get off the reservation. Essentially, you know, I I myself have not had much personal experience with the uh, boarding schools, but I have known, you know, classmates that decided mm -hmm. who chose to go to the boarding schools now, nowadays. And now it's a good thing because you have to have, you know, it's essentially like you're applying for a college, you have to have uh, letters of recommendation to get into this boarding school, things like that, that I have heard of. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so it has, it has changed from the past, but I mean, this boarding school era, we're talking within the last 60 years. I mean, that's still, I mean, you, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you honestly, what'd you say, Andrea? That I know was in the 80s. And see, that's not that long ago to me. And then some things, you know, even when you, yeah, and even when you think that some things are, you know, you, you always have a little, a couple of them that still have a little policy in there that they're doing. Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's still that people hold on to those past ways. It's so interesting because I never even knew about that. I, um, mm -hmm. I will openly admit when I was a, a child in school, history was not my thing. I could care less because most, well, but no, but my, but my point of saying that was that, and that was what I was going to say is that, you know, I did not like history because it never pertained to me. It had, I didn't see anybody look like me in history. So I didn't care about it. Right. But as an adult, I really do find it uh, very interesting. And actually a lady I had on the other day um, named Jennifer, she's actually a historian. And I actually went to one of her, um, presentations that she did last year, I believe, and she talked about the boarding schools and showed some pictures, and mm -hmm. I was in awe, okay? I was in awe because um, I was just surprised because I never knew it, but I also um, was like, wow, and I hate to say it this way, but, you know, we always think that we have, we're so different, right? And then you start studying, you realize that a lot of our, our cultures and, and different uh, paths 
are we have some things in common, right? For us to kind of, um, I don't want to say like, you know, kind of bond over to be able to say, okay, this is how we can work to to help all of us, right? Because I heard you say, Rael, about um, being colonized. You know, I mean, that is not unique to you know, your people that a lot of us, our, our past have been, you know, we've been taught to not be true to who we are and we have to be like Europeans. That I mean, that's just, that that was what it was, you know, what was the rhetoric. So I could go into that for a really long time, but. Yeah, I just, yeah exactly. I mean, what, what you speak of right now, that colonization, you can, I mean, besides the Navajo Nation, the Pueblo nations that are, you know, within that checkerboard area of Navajo Nation, they are so close. They are also in that area. And you can see, you can physically see that colonization that's left there because, I mean, these communities now are Catholic communities. Mm -hmm. They're free to rely on saint days, and each Pueblo has their own patron saint. So, how deeply embedded that colonization has been, how how deeply rooted this boarding school era, things like that, all mm-hmm. everything that has happened, you know, the way that our our language and our tradition has been stripped from us. You can physically see that not only in the land by the boarding schools that were left and the mass graves that, you know, some haven't mm-hmm. even been yet and they're mm-hmm. still being discovered. Um, have the fact that because New Mexico is such a barren land, if like you know, she talked about her grandma or Kelly talked about her grandmother running away at one time. Yeah. If ran away from the boarding school out there, there's no water for hundreds of miles. So, right. So where would you go? What would you do? Right. Wow. So and, I mean, and that's how that was so purposeful. You know, in my this is my opinion. So I'm not. Not saying you guys are saying this, but this is my opinion. You know, I feel like where people, there's nothing for thousand Well, I, and, I, I mean, and that's that's I feel like this was very purposeful. You know, where um, people were put, were placed in in the in the world, and kind of um, kind of put away from everyone else. I really believe it was purposeful. Um, you know, because they did not want you to succeed. So. They put you in a situation where you could not succeed and you could, it was such a fight. It's such a fight. And that's, I mean, but that's all throughout America. It's just, it's just sickening sometimes when I, when I think about the, the strategy that people put into, um, for people yeah. to not succeed, you know, where they're free for all of us, right? It's, I mean, we have a wealth of things all around us, and um, so we really shouldn't have to go through this. I want to, I want to really, I really want to tackle. Um, so, as I told you, Ryle earlier, um, I watch, I love Intervention. Okay, Intervention is one of my favorite shows. I don't know why I love it. I love to. <laughs> I don't like seeing people go through the hardships, but I love seeing the recovery and the, you know, thriving afterwards. So just kind of like my heart. So anyway, I told you I watched an intervention show one time and there was a young lady on there that was um, from a tribal nation. I'm not, I don't remember which one, so I'm not even going to pretend to act like I remember. Um, she was, and she, but she talked about how she was on drugs and how, you know, she was going through a lot of depression, but she needed help because she wasn't allowed to say that she was going through depression. And, you know, I don't know if that was just TV. I don't know if that was real. Um, if you guys don't mind speaking on that, I would love to know um, a little bit more about that because I, I just think about, you know, mm-hmm. 
the the situations that you're placed into. And I just, I mean, I can't, it's not hard to figure out why a person may struggle with being happy or, you know, mental health at times, you know, if you're, if you're struggling or paying, I, mean, I worked two jobs before, so I, I know what it's like to make ends meet. So I get it. Um, so if you guys want to talk to that, cause I can ramble on. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, um, when it comes to mental health on the Navajo Nation, that is that is a very touchy subject to come upon. Um, it is, in a sense, a taboo to mention it. Uh, okay. Just because how our culture is structured, you don't you don't speak of the bad because if you speak of the bad, you're wishing it upon people, and gotcha. that's not. So it becomes a taboo. You don't you don't mention that. You don't mention, hey, someone's about to die soon. Like maybe we should get over there and visit with them. This and that. You don't mention that. It's mm. it's out of sight, out of mind. You don't. That's just you don't talk about it. You don't think about it. You don't do it. And when it came to mental health, um, you know, it's definitely a hard thing to come across because people um, on the you know our closest clinics are you know some of some some, some small towns will have clinics within their towns um, mm-hmm. but we're talking maybe two providers or like a oh, nurse's wow. check or uh, any immunizations type thing you know uh, if you have any dire medical need where you need like an emergency room this and that your closest places are going to be Fort Defiance as well as Gallup, New Mexico. And a lot of the time, if it's if it's a bad enough situation, they're gonna fly you out to either Phoenix or Albuquerque or Denver. Or- some, some distance, what does that look like? So you're saying that the closest place could be how many miles away? The closest place for medical attention, depending on how bad it could be, is gonna be anywhere from 50 to 200 miles. Wow. In, in direction. I mean, these, you know, you, you're you're coming onto a land where everything is so scarce. Yeah, greenery, water, you know, just anything is very scarce. People, you you'll you can drive on the reservation and go thirty miles and see two houses within that, and you oh. can go another thirty miles and see maybe a house in the far distance. On the oh road. wow! Okay, I mean. About there's there are houses in literally the middle of nowhere with no access to water, no ac- no access to electricity, no access you know besides having a a pickup with four wheel drive. Like that is the only way in, and that is the only way out. And a lot of a lot of these families will um, you know when this pandemic happened, some of them were affected more than others. Um, those families that live with a paycheck who got laid off and now can't support the family, now can't go shopping. You know, they're waiting for their stimulus checks still. And a lot of these, you know, checks right, are waiting. I heard that a they're, lot of because people did not get them. Yeah, well, well, what we're going through is when it comes to tax taxes, people that do taxes, we have PO boxes. We don't have a mail system where it's oh. sent to to us directly. We have oh. to use peel boxes within the cities. So oh. when you're saying I gotta go check the mail, that is anywhere between 10 miles to a 30 mile wow. drive to office. And a lot I of these mean, post I hate walking out to my mailbox 
10, 10 feet away. <laughs> the experiences, everything, how, how readily available it is out here versus the Navajo Nation, it, it is very different. Um, I mean, there are houses, like on those, like, I know they don't use some of the houses year round. They actually have a settlement in town where they can get supplies easily. And during the feasts, they'll move back up to their, their old homes and have it up there. But okay. for the most part, within the homes, within their, the smaller communities closer to the cities because oh, wow. it's easy, more easily accessible. Um, that's when you kind of, when, when you drive through the Navajo Nation, you will see a lot of trailer parks, a lot of trailer, you know, homes. And these mobile homes are home to two, three, four families. Wow. Like you said, the generations just uh, all in, in the small. So, so Kelly and Andrea, do you guys? I mean, is where your your nation is it the same type of situation, or do you guys have a little bit more resources? Well, Kelly's tribe has the biggest resources. <laughs> yeah. We're not spread out at all like that. I mean, yeah, really Isabella good. County is it for us, and we're not, it's not even the full mm -hmm. county. Yeah. Um, we're pretty small county. land base. Uh, we have a little bit of land over in Saginaw, so we're pretty small. We're, uh, we still struggle to get our treaty rights, keep our mm -hmm. treaty rights to be able to hunt and fish to and fight gather. It's mm -hmm. like a constant thing, and so when Michigan tribes got together and signed these treaties with the state of Michigan, um, they got the whole state of Michigan and we got to keep a few of our, you know, indigenous rights, our Anishinaabe rights mm -hmm. to hunt, fish and gather. So just those few little simple things we fight tooth and nail to keep. To be able to hunt? Are you saying to be able to hunt? You have to fight to be able to hunt? I find that so interesting because from, from what I studied in history and correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of natives taught Europeans how to hunt, how to how mm -hmm. to gather, how to you know survive. This this North America, right. you know. Yeah, and now now it's like a switch. Now you teach me something, and then now I'm going to take it from you. I just it's just I, it blows my mind. So Andrea, how about how about your area? Well, we've got the Great Lakes up there. So we get, you know, we're able to hunt. We've got wooded areas. We can fish. But we're still fighting for that, you know. It's the treaty rights. And the state keeps trying to take treaty our treaty rights, but they're federal. So they have to, when we go, you know, with the federal laws. And it when it comes down to, and Frank Edouagizic explained this best, is that the way this works is that if we go out fishing and there's two fish, I get, I get one, you get one. If we go fishing and there's one fish, I get it because we're native and we get the treaty rights. Oh, and that's how okay. it works. Does mm -hmm. it always work that way? No, because we have some people who try to, you know, always take more. They'll go out in a bigger boat with the bigger, you know, the, the electric fisheries and all that instead of doing it in the traditional ways that we do it. Mm -hmm. And the way we do it, Native Americans and Indigenous and Anishinaabek the way we do it is so that we have, we plan so that we'll take what we need and we don't waste it because it has to last us for our next generations. We can't just strip everything and say, oh, I don't care about next year. We have to plan for that. We have to plan that our, our grandkids will have food. And we have to always keep that in our mind. Wow. 
Wow. That that's just I, I, it's just so much like this this conversation I could talk about all night, all day, all for a week, uh, just because it's just so intriguing to me. It's so much to unpack with this um, because I, I think about the long history of oppression that has taken place to get us to where we are right now. You know, to, to have mm-hmm. to fight for some of these, what I think is just uh, things that should be given to you or, or should be um, you're deserving of, to have to fight for it is just, and, and that goes through a lot of different, um, you know, groups of people, but it's just, it's just heartbreaking. It just kind of makes me upset at times because it's just so, um, it's just terrible. Um, so I just want to, I want to touch on something, uh, Rael, that you mentioned earlier when you said that, you know, some things you're not supposed to speak of, right? And I know in, in different cultures, a, a lot of different cultures, people talk about, you know, don't wish things, don't say things, you know, the words that you say. Right. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about that in regards to COVID-19. Right. So if because I know you mentioned something about the word virus, even in your language, how is 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 not really a, a, a word. So I guess my, my question is, is, you know. If, if this this pandemic is coming through right and it's and it's you know it's all over the airwaves and this is something that you need to look out for if people are saying you know we we don't say you know wish certain things or say certain words or or wish um how do i want to say it if if people are saying you know we don't want to even acknowledge you know that this person yeah. you know, our grandmother or our father is is passing on transitioning did people do that same thing with the covid 19 so I think it has a little, it's going to be a little mixture of, yeah, there's going to be people that didn't want to mention it because yeah, it is a taboo. It's, you don't, you don't talk about the bad in the world. You don't you keep plugging on, you do what you have to do to survive. Um, and then that also comes to the fact that a lot of people, when they were told, Hey, this is a virus, this is how it spreads. And a lot of, I think a lot of um, elders didn't understand what that meant. So it came to us having to explain to them what it is, how dire of a situation this is, uh, you know, because essentially this is an invisible thing that they cannot see, that they mm-hmm. have not seen before, that they cannot fathom. And it's coming here and it's going to change your entire life. You are now, you know, and you're, and you're also trying to tell these elders who essentially act like, rebellious teenagers sometimes, you know, you're trying to tell them, hey, you can't go to the store. Do not go to the store. It is dangerous. What are they going to do? They're going to go to the store. (laughs) This is putting too much strain on your body. Do not chop this wood. What are they going to do? They're going to go out and do two loads of wood. They're going (laughs) to chop it off. And they're, you know, and that's just kind of that feistiness that you find in our elders. Mm-hmm. And it's that feistiness. Like, yeah, you know, but this isn't the time for that. Mm-hmm. I, I understand where you're coming from. I don't want to take your freedoms away from you. I don't want to limit your your abilities. And I don't want to say, you know, you have to stop being yourself. But, you know, we have to sit there and think about it and, and explain it to them. Hey, you know, this is this is what happens. This this invisible thing is going to make it hard for you to breathe. This right. is going to make it hard make it make it hard for you to move. Mm-hmm. This invisible thing that's coming on the land that mm-hmm. you don't know how, how it's transmitted. You can't see it transmitted. 
but it's all around you now. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So my question, my question to that is, um, cause I read a lot. I watch things. I've, I really, I've never been a big news person, but here recently, last couple of years, I've watched um, news clippings, I should say more so um, than I did in the past. And, you know, I just, and, you know, in talking with Kelly and talking to, with Andrea, you know, I'm seeing that the Navajo Nation was just hit so hard, so hard mm-hmm. with it. And talking with you all, it helps me understand a little bit more because um, if you, if your closest hospital or, you know, if you, if you don't have a clinic close to you or you can't even get down a road, because I know I, we spoke earlier, Ryle, you were speaking about um, some people don't even have roads. They have to like almost build build the road. So if you don't have access to just basic things, quite naturally, this could happen. Right. I mean, am I understanding this correctly? I mean, it just seems like a natural cause and effect. So how can we help? I mean, you know, I, I want to know, I want you guys to to tell again, I know you touched on it at the beginning, but how can people help that may not know that, you know, this, this, this is happening within the nations. You know, I I think for, for the Navajo nation point of view, I mean, this is the little, that I have seen, you know, from from my personal contacts where they're trying to ask for help, you know, there's still a huge lack in equipment, personal protective equipment for, say, the Navajo Nation Police Department. That's and what, so what did you thin. say? You broke up a little bit. What did you say? There's uh-huh. So Navajo Nation Police Department, we're talking about correctional officers. We're talking about all those essential workers that are required to supply their own PPE and then them going to stores, having to travel two hours away and finding out that all the stores are completely sold out. Right. These, you know, people really do not have a choice. They so they need, so they need the protections, they need the masks, Ooh. they need the gloves. And I mean, and like, you know, and, and, and like, and like the, the, uh, how we were talking about how, um, how easily it spread because it's not spoken and it's not this and that, you know, these families still are living in those one room homes. So, you know, if mm. we can think about them quarantine themselves, that might be something that could help because, you know, these people, it, there are traditional houses, a Hogan, and it's, you know, it's more of a, a rounder shape. It's just an open room. And so that's yeah, really so, so I'm, I just, I'm just thinking about that's interesting because it reminds yes, it, me of it, it, it's it's your living room and on one right. side you have a wood stove and it may or may not be your your source of cooking you right know, you go outside and you have a giant 50 gallon barrel and that's your water for washing your clothes washing mm. your clothes washing mm-hmm. your hair washing your food that's that's what you're going to do to make coffee you're going to use that and a lot of this water they're not going to be picky about it i mean there are towns in new mexico that you know as far back as i can remember they had to rely on bottled water because their water is so contaminated they you know these are our small families and if you don't have it then you're going to get sick from the water that you find that's just so heartbreaking that, I, you know, I just think about when you talk about the different, you know, four or five generations living in one house. That reminds me of, you know, because I because I remember when when this was spreading in Italy. Right. Everybody kept asking, well, how are they getting so sick from it? And um, 
It's because they have the same thing going on where they have, you know, five generations living in in one house as well. Um, Kelly, can you tell me or Andrea, can you guys tell me a little bit more about I know you guys are, are, are you know, have a drive going right now. You guys got a lot of supplies that you took down to Mexico, I believe. Um, can you guys tell me a little bit about that and how people can help? Yeah, yeah, we um, in two weeks we gathered up enough stuff from everybody that we got three tra um, big trailers to go down, and we found three areas that hadn't had any help yet that were very, very rural, more rural than normal, I guess. And they um, when they went down there, it was it was great success. I mean, we we met here at the, um, the at the at the water park, and we were wearing masks, we were social distancing, and we were filling up trucks. Yeah, these big trips because this was a dangerous, um, you know, this was a dangerous journey that we were on. We got this disease going around that's killing people, and we got people on another side of the the country without. And we had to be very careful. We gathered up all of our supplies. We had to wash it off before we put it in the in the truck. People, you know, would say, "Oh, I made masks." We always got over a thousand masks. We had over fifty five gallons of hand sanitizer. Um, I don't even know how many containers of bleach that were sent out in oh, wow. liquid. We got washers and dryers that people donated so that we can um, send to the chapters, which had electric and electricity and water so oh, that they wow. can be like a community wash. So that's awesome. what we, right. And then we had to have people drive and it was what, 1700 miles, one direction, mm. dropped off and they, so one truck made it in before they shut down for the weekend and the other trucks, two other trucks had to wait till Monday when they opened back up when the reservation opened back up so they can get in there and drop this off. Well, next up, unloading of the truck, right? And our, you know, the drivers are sitting there. They've driven 1700 miles. They've been eating. They've been, you know, careful, trying to stay, you know, from getting sick. Right. And here and there we were praying that we didn't have any flat tires or anything happen to the um, vehicles because that could put right. our drivers in fear mm -hmm. and then they had to unload everything and they come out and drive another 1700 miles and then we had them quarantine for two weeks to make sure that they were they were they were okay and get sick so are yeah. you guys going to are you guys going to have another big drive? Because um, I know you guys had that one. Are you guys going to have another one? If so, when and how can people get supplies to you? Well, we got a Facebook page. It's Operation Sadie Benelli, and that's how what we're most mostly going through. People are getting on there and saying, "Okay, I've got this. I've got that." We had different people who, like my house, was a drop off point in Ypsilanti. And I, every time I went outside or came near the door, it was like my, my front porch was full. Oh, we had to carry all the amazing. We filled up a, um, the truck. My, we got a pickup truck. We filled that up, getting it, just bring it to the water park. And we wow. do want to say, I think a lot of people and a lot of organizations did help us. So, Kelly, may I give a real quick shout give out? A shout out. Give a shout out. Thank you. So we had the Anishinaabe Caucus, the Dowagiac Elders Council, Denise Kirchhoff, Washtenaw County Commissioner Candidate, Ann Arbor Distillery with the 55 gallons, uh, Shannon Donnelly, Environmental Caucus, mm -hmm. the Gathering Society. Uh, I want to say thank you to Forever Rat, Jolene Quinlan, and Charmaine Shwanu for bringing um, the covered trailers for us to use. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Thank you to yes. John Lon, Ruby Mishabus, Ann Orr, and many others for their 
for their continued acts of kindness. Um, also, we want to give a big shout out to our warrior drivers who yeah, drove give them there. Big love. <laughs> Uh, my husband, Eddie Benali, Butch Cox, Jim Lee, Nabelle Lewis, and Jolene Quinlan. Wow, awesome. Thank you. For, I'm glad you did that. I'm glad you gave the shout outs because I want people to know that, you know, people do care and people took time and, and gave money and, you know, their energy. That's a lot. You know, when you, you don't, like you said, the drive, I don't even like driving. Okay. So I don't like going to my mailbox. I don't like driving, you, you know, it's all these <laughs> things that about. and, you know, for people to drive that far um, to help people is, is amazing. So, and I'm kidding, but you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, making a point that we, we take things for granted, you know, is my point in saying that we take, we take it for granted that I can walk 10 steps outside to get my, mail you know and I have to travel to get it or I can just walk into the next room and turn on water um and you know and not have to travel hundreds of miles or you know 50 miles to get water and the water that I may get 50 miles away may be contaminated you know it's just there's just a lot of things that we do have to take um Take, take note of that, you know, we do take it, uh, you know, kind of for granted and we just have to be more appreciative. So I really appreciate you guys for being on here. I, I just wanted to make sure people knew um, how they could help because it's just so important to, to help each other out. I mean, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm very passionate about oppressed people, whoever they are, right? I'm really passionate about that when there's a systematic, you know, way that people are placed into poverty. I mean, they, they're strategically placed there and then beat down for being impoverished or beat down for having different different issues, even though they were put there on purpose. Um, so that, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother show. But so, um, so that's why I reached out to you guys. I just wanted to, um, you know, talk to you guys, get a little bit more information, allow you guys to educate me so that I know more and I'm not so ignorant because this is how we build with each other, right? When we ask questions and talk to each other and find out more. So, Again, all three of you ladies, I appreciate you. I would love to sit down when all this is over and talk more about this and just learn more and kind of glean um, from, you know, because you, you guys are, I will say before we leave, you guys are really blessed to be able to, to have your generational knowledge. You know, I think that I, I'm always so envious of that when people know like who their grandmother is, a great grandmother, great, great grandmother, you know, just these generations and have so much history. I think it's just beautiful. You know, unfortunately, a lot of black people don't have that. You know, we don't have that information, um, you know. So I think that's beautiful that you guys can tell those stories and continue to tell your your kids and grandchildren the, the stories, because that's how we got to keep that that fire. I call it a fire talk, you know, where you tell the story and teach each other. So did you guys have anything that you wanted to to say before we before we um, end it? I forgot to add our um, distributors, the people who received all the supplies over on Navajo. Um, I don't want to forget them because they had to deal with trailers, trucks, and you know, sorting, organizing, and then sure. distributing to the, the family. So I want to say thank you very much to Judy Buffalo Head and her daughters, and Tom, Eddie Benali, Motorcycle Club, and those riders were the ones who. Uh, did the receiving, organizing, and distributing for us. So. Oh, and the radio stations that announced it. So, 
the radio stations, and also uh, Luca Chukai community, community, right? Luca Chukai. Thank you. So that community also received as well. So um, thank you so much for working with us and being there and uh, getting it out to the folks who really needed it. Awesome. And uh, I want to thank you. Oh, go ahead, Ryo. Um, so I do have a phone number for uh, a contact for uh, Navajo Nation Police. If you want me to give that directly to you, um, sure. You know, or for for any donations, especially for that protective, you know, because uh, these 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 very brave individuals are, you know, having to still patrol. Like there is, you know, nothing going on, even though they're at, you know, even greater risk now than ever before. And then, and this number is for, um, what, what, if people call it, what would they be doing? I'm sorry, I missed that. Uh, so, so this is, if, they, if you have any organizations that are headed out that way, if you have a lot of PPE and you want to donate to them, oh, um, gotcha. you can talk to this here and kind of get that down to them. He's going to kind of be someone that will be able to distribute it throughout the Navajo Nation Police Department. So okay, what's, what's the number? Number is 480-206-8509. All right. We'll asking this for, for the Navajo Nation uh, Police Department. Awesome. So if people want to contact them directly is what you're saying, they can um, find them there. Okay, awesome. I um, wanted to just end this with saying that I thank you guys for what you're doing too because it's not easy organizing <laughs> it's not easy yeah. organizing um it's not easy you know it's a lot of energy that go and you deal with a lot of personalities right you have a lot of personalities that you have to kind of contend with to get everything organized yeah. and people are upset people are hurting people are sick so when you add all that together it can be very hard so I thank you guys also for what you're doing um for your people Hey, we have to stand up for each other, right? If nobody else will, we have to. So I applaud you guys. And Kelly, I've known you for years and you've always been a fighter. You've always you've always had this energy and heart. So I, I appreciate um, you. I appreciate you, Andrea and Rael. Thank you for sharing all your knowledge, Rael, of, um, you know, the nomination and answering my, my questions. So I wish you luck. Oh, yeah. And, then, you know, again, you know, I would definitely love to sit with you and, and kind of Trying to see uh, this other aspect that you know, uh, being that insider looking out. We, yes, I just know that that's that's how I live. That's how I go through life. And kind of being on the outside, you're saying, "Man, this world is different out there." Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would love, yes, at a, at a at a future time to meet up and kind of. Oh, we will. We will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love anybody that knows me knows for one, I love to talk and I love to ask questions. I've been this way since I was a child. Anybody that that knows that knows me knows that. So I would love to sit with you and just kind of learn more because this this is how we this is how we grow. This is how we grow, asking those questions. And um, you know, you see so much on the news, you see so much in news articles and all this crap. But I love the the boots on the ground. I love the people that are at the grassroots. I love the people that are actually in it, um, talking with them and finding out the heartbeat of it, not just the the outer 
you know, flesh part of it. I like the heartbeat of it. So you guys have given me a little bit of the heartbeat. So I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing your stories. I wish you guys a great evening. I wish you guys peace. Um, again, my condolences um, with your grandmother passing, um, you know, and I just wish the Navajo Nation healing. I know it's hard and you guys keep fighting and keep, um, you know, giving back to your people. And I, I, I appreciate you guys. So have a great evening and thank you so much. Wow, thank you. Good night. See ya. <laughs> well, we have another episode of the Breaking Bread Village. It was really nice to um, speak to all three of those ladies and allow them to share um, their history, uh, you know, the present and some struggles and some 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 greatness, you know, to have a 90 year woman that, you know, is able to uh, use her, her, her mind and her hands and the earth to heal people is an amazing thing, an amazing gift. So I'm so happy that they had that experience. Um, I want to thank them again for coming on and sharing um, their stories, um, sharing what they're going through so that we all can know a little bit more about each other. I think this is really important and I love it. You know, I am just like this and I appreciate people taking the time to have the conversations with me. So I wish you all a great evening and thanks for um, watching. Truly appreciate it. Thanks.